Our scripture reading tonight will be from the book of Titus, since that's what we've been studying on Sunday evenings. This will be from Titus 3, verses 1 through 3. It's Titus 3, verses 1 through 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Okay, can you hear me now? Good, okay. The book of Titus is all about living up to your faith. Titus chapter one deals with living up to your faith in the church. In Titus chapter one, we find the qualifications for elders. We find the elders being charged with stopping the mouths of the insubordinate and those who would deceive and those who would plant false teachings within the body of Christ. Titus two is about living up to your faith in the home. And it talks about things like husbands and wives and love and uh, parents' love for children. It talks about older men and older women and older women teaching the younger. It talks about living up to your faith in the home. And Titus chapter three that we're going to be studying from tonight deals with living up to your faith in the community, in the community around you. Christians are different. If you've got your Bible open to Titus, I want you to look at chapter two, verse 14. A passage we studied in some detail last week, Titus 2 verse 14, where the scripture says that Jesus has given himself for us that he might purify for himself a special people, a peculiar people who are zealous for good works. Do you see that in Titus 2 14? What that means, Christians, is that you are the people of God. You belong to him. Jesus has given himself for you and he has purchased you and he has made you into his own possession. You need to live like it. And that's where Titus 3, 1 picks up. The first word in my translation of Titus 3, verse 1 is remind. Titus, young man on the island of Crete, I want you to remind people. Remind the church. Everywhere you go on that island of Crete, Titus, I want you to remind people of the things that they need to be, have in mind, the things that they need to be, uh, that they need to remember about being the people of God. You know, when I see that word remind, it reminds me as a teacher, all of us who teach and preach God's word, we need to get over the idea that we're going to be super original. We need to get over the idea that we're going to be super distinctive and we're going to say something that nobody else has thought of before and we're going to tell people things that nobody else has ever dreamed up. If you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. And if you're doing that, you're probably not reminding people of things that they really need that are important. I don't know about you, but I've got reminders all over my life. I use Google Calendar. 
I never used Google Calendar until I moved to Katy, but all of a sudden things got really busy when I moved here. And I found that I could not keep up with everything that I told people that I was gonna do for them or I was gonna meet with them. And so I just, I've got it all on Google Calendar. Now I've got a bunch of other apps too for various parts of my life. I need reminders because even though I have good intentions, I need something external to me to remind me of what my schedule looks like for a given week or a given month or a given year. Christians are like that. Remind the church is what Paul tells Titus. So keep these things in mind. And I want you to notice three specific areas in which the church needs to be consistently reminded. If we would be the people of God, what do we need to be reminded about? As you look at Titus chapter three, I want you to notice the first couple of verses. Titus 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind the church, first of all, how to behave, verses 1 and 2. Let's read together. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Notice what he says all of us, if we're the people of God, should be reminded of. In the first place, as citizens because he's talking about the government here. He's talking about rulers and authorities. As citizens, three things. Number one, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Christians strive to the very best of their ability to obey the laws of the land. If you live in the United States of America, if you live in Texas, if you live in Katy, Texas, everyone who is a ruler or an authority over you, we have an obligation to be submissive to them. It doesn't matter if you voted for them or not. It doesn't matter if you agree with their policies or not. Be submissive. This is the change that Jesus makes in us. Be obedient, it says, and be ready for every good work. Christians in a community are not just about being submissive, but we're trying to help our community to be better by the kind of citizens that we are, by the way that we treat our fellow man as citizens, be the kind of people that would reflect positively on the God that you serve. And then as you look at verse two of Titus chapter three, notice as neighbors, and I find as I was studying for this lesson, Titus chapter three, verse two is a great verse to memorize for Thanksgiving. Because sometimes, as Brother Steve uh, mentioned this morning, sometimes families are not as easy to get along with as we would like for them to be. Ideally, your family is not like that. Ideally, your family is great. I'm sure it is. But when you struggle, listen to Titus three, verse two, what kind of child of God? What kind of person does God want us to be? Listen to this and just tell me if this doesn't apply to some of the things we're going to experience in the holidays coming up. Watch. Make sure that you speak evil of no one. Could that be useful? Make sure that you're speaking evil of no one. That is, I'm not fault finding. I'm not criticizing. I'm not looking for areas in which I can tear people down because I belong to Jesus. Avoid quarreling. There are always people that want to start a quarrel in your life. There are always people that are looking for an opportunity to find something to stir up. Avoid it. When you see people trying to do that, go a different direction in the conversation. Be gentle. And not only be gentle, show humility toward all people. You know, I was 
studying humility not all that long ago, and I heard somebody say something that has been very, very helpful to me personally, because humility is hard. Once you think you're humble, you're not. That's the irony of humility. Once you think, you know, it's, it's hard to be humble. Once you think you're humble, you're not. The way that you become humble, listen, is by thinking about in this situation, what would a humble person do? Just ask that question of yourself. In this situation, in this environment, what would a humble person do? And then do it. That's how you pursue humility. Be humble with all people. Be gentle. What would a gentle person do in this situation? And then do it. Christians need to be reminded how to behave. When I look at that list, what I learn about Christians broadly, brothers and sisters, is that God wants us to be the kind of people who are working at being easy to get along with. God wants us to be the kind of people who are working at being easy to get along with because we are God's peculiar people, his special people. Again, Titus 2 verse 14. Second, as you look at reminders in this passage, I don't know why the verses are doing what they're doing there, but anyway, it's verse three, Titus chapter three, verse three, not just two and three, it's three. Reminder of how we used to behave. You know, sometimes Christians need to be reminded of what life was before we became Christians. That's not a bad thing at all. I know the Bible says that when we become Christians, our sins and iniquities are remembered no more, Hebrews chapter eight, verse 12. I know the Bible says that when our sins are forgiven, that God's not gonna hold those to our account anymore. However, it is good for us as Christians to spend time occasionally being reminded of what life was like without Jesus of what the difference is between where we came from and where we are now. This is vitally important for Christians to be able to do. And as you look at verse three, you find four pairs of terms. Four pairs of terms, how we used to behave. We used to be, before we became Christians, foolish and disobedient. This has to do with God's revelation. It has to do with the information that God has communicated to us in his word. We were foolish because we didn't listen to God's word. We were disobedient to what God has to say to us. We're not like that anymore, I hope. That's not what Christians are supposed to be anymore. Second pair of terms, we were deceived and we were enslaved by all manner of passions and pleasures. This has to do with desires. So the first pair has to do with revelation. The second pair has to do with desires, what I want, what's going to please me, the things that make me happy. And when we follow our hearts, as they say, you know what Jeremiah said? He said, the heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Oh, Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. God wants us not to be deceived. He doesn't want us to be enslaved by our own desires. And now that we've become Christians, we're not living like that anymore. Third pair of terms. We used to live in malice and in envy. This has to do with having a bad attitude. It has to do with our attitude, malice and envy. You know what malice is? Sometimes if you get upset with somebody and they get upset with you and you don't resolve it, sometimes what happens is you end up 
really having hard feelings toward another person. And that's what malice is. Malice is when you have really hard feelings toward another person. And when they come in the room, your blood pressure goes up just a little bit or maybe a lot. Your heart starts beating a little faster. The adrenaline starts going in your body. I hope I don't have to make eye contact with them. I hope I don't have to say anything to them. That's malice. And envy has to do with wanting what somebody else has. And again, it's about our attitude. This is what you used to be before you became a Christian, but now it's not so because God's grace has taught you differently. Titus chapter two, verses 11 and 12. And then remind the brethren that we used to be hated by others and we hated others. This has to do with relationships. Relationships. Revelation, desire, attitude, relationships. Everything about our lives changes when we become Christians. And what he's saying to these Christians is, there used to be in your relationships all kinds of hostility and enmity and anger, and the way that you related to other people was not healthy. And you think about the way that people in our world live, and it's not healthy. God wants everybody to come to Christ and to learn from His grace because Jesus teaches us a better way to live with others. And so Paul tells Titus, go around from congregation to congregation there on the island of Crete and remind the church, remind them how to behave and remind them how they used to behave because those two things should have changed like your Google Calendar, like your apps that remind you of this and that, like your phone that you set the alarm, there need to be some reminders in our lives consistently of these matters. And then most importantly, remind them how we're saved. Titus 3 verses 4 through 8 is one of the most succinct and yet comprehensive statements of salvation anywhere in the New Testament. In these four verses, God talks about just about every component of salvation that you can imagine. In four short verses, it's astounding, it's amazing. We could spend a quarter worth of Bible classes just studying Titus 3 verses 4 through 8 and still we would not plumb its depths, all of its riches. Remind them, remind the church how we're saved because we need to remember who it is that saved us and how it is that we've come to know God. Watch this. Actually, let's read it first. It's so profound. It's so wonderful. Let's read Titus 3 beginning in verse 4. He says, we used to be hated and hating one another, but, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, Titus, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people." Remind them how they're saved. Watch this. The source of our salvation, according to this passage in verse 4, is God. If God doesn't take the initiative to save us, nobody would be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. While we were still sinners, we read a little while ago in the Lord's Supper, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. 
God is the source of our salvation. And notice that God is described in this passage as God our Savior. That's the third time in Titus that he's called that. Who saved me? God did. That's the answer that God wants us to give. God is the one who saves us. He's the source. Notice that this passage deals with the ground of our salvation. If you and I are saved, it is not by the righteous works that we do. It's not by all the good things that we accomplish. Our salvation, brothers and sisters, is by God's mercy. And in those words, the mercy of God is contained everything that's involved in the cross. God treats us better than we deserve in the cross. And our salvation comes by what Jesus does for us at the cross. Notice this passage deals with the means of our salvation. God saved us. You see that in verse five? He's the one that saved us. And then notice how it happens. As you look at verse five, it speaks about the washing of regeneration. You see that in the passage? That is a clear reference to water baptism. How were people saved in the first century? They were saved when they heard the gospel of Jesus, believed it, confessed their sins, confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repented of their sins, and when they were baptized for the remission of their sins, the washing of regeneration. How were they saved? They were saved by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This has a couple of possible meanings. It could refer to what the Spirit does to us when we're in the waters of baptism. When somebody goes down to that water, something spiritual is taking place, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It also could refer to how the Spirit makes us more holy by the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. There are many passages in the New Testament that command us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, be renewed in your minds. And what he's saying about salvation is basically this. Salvation has to do with obedience to the word. It has to do with the washing of regeneration. It has to do with the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The means of our salvation. Notice next, as you think about how we're saved in this passage, the goal of our salvation. Why? Why would God save us? When it comes to being a Christian, the goal of salvation is that we become heirs of God. You see that in verse 7? There's an inheritance for us. And it's not all about us. It's about God sharing his glory and his riches with us. We become heirs. The Bible says we become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And so Paul wants Titus to remind the churches how we're saved and what the whole point of salvation is. Salvation, brothers and sisters and friends, is not about having an easy, comfortable life here and now. It's not about everything being wonderful for us here and now. Sometimes life is like that, and I hope your life is like that. But not always. In fact, probably not even most of the time for most of us. But we have an inheritance. Salvation is not about the here and now and the inheritance we have now. Salvation is about the inheritance we're going to receive when the Lord returns. The full inheritance, eternal life being spoken of in this passage. And then when you look at verse 8, remind them about the fruit of their salvation. 
What's the fruit of salvation? Good works. We've talked as we've studied Titus these last several months, these last several weeks, we've talked about how frequently good works is mentioned in the book of Titus. Over and over, God's people are all about good works. They are a people who are zealous for good works. Titus chapter two, verse 14. And here in verse eight, we ought to be careful to maintain good works, to continue in good works, to do good works. This is the purpose for which Jesus died. Jesus died so that you and I could be purified and so that we could do good works. It's evidence that we're saved. What are you doing as a Christian that shows, that demonstrates you're a child of God? What are you doing that's good because you belong to Jesus? A lot of people, well-meaning, well-intentioned, they do good things, but it has nothing to do with their connection with the Lord. It's an evidence of salvation that we do good works. It's an expectation for every Christian, Titus 3, verse 14. The fruit of salvation. If we're really saved, it's gonna show. It's gonna make a difference in how we live and how we speak and how we relate to others. Now, before you put your notes up, watch this. As you look at this passage that deals with salvation in an all-encompassing way in four verses, watch what happens in this passage. In the first place, salvation involves the love and goodness of God. It involves the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, verse six. And it involves the renewal of the Holy Spirit, verse five. Father, Son, and Spirit are involved in our salvation. Not just that, salvation has to do with our past. We were justified. Our past was wiped away. The the things that we've done that have offended God, that have wronged God, we were justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our past is taken care of in our salvation. Our present, what are we supposed to do until we receive our full inheritance? What are we supposed to do until the Lord returns? We're supposed to be devoted to good works, zealous for good works, constantly always involved in good works. Our present, it's all about good works. If you're saved, this is what you do. You go around doing as much good as you can to as many people as you can in as many ways as you can because that's what a Christian does. And then future, the inheritance of eternal life. Salvation is about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It's about your past, it's about your present, it's about your future. Brothers and sisters and friends, the fact that you're saved, it ought to change everything about how you think and how you live. That's the point. Titus, I want you to go around and tell these churches to keep these things in mind. I don't want them to forget these things. I don't want them to go another day without being reminded of how they should behave how they used to behave, and how they're saved. May God help us as we go into a week where we spend a lot of time with family and friends, may God help us to remember these matters. Maybe you're not a Christian and you'd like to become one. Believe in Jesus Christ, confess his name, repent of your sin, be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's how you become a Christian. If we can help you to do that tonight, or if we can pray for you, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.